Welcome to A History of Financial Markets. My name is Ryan Henderson. I am here with Brett Schaefer. This is episode six, season one, episode six, and this is the meat of the panic. So we're going to talk really, uh, this is kind of the bulk of the panic of 1907. Um, Last episode, we sort of got into the early stages of it, but this is really the day by day. Uh, this happened in late October. It was a two-week stretch. Um, they had to make a lot of tough decisions uh, for the U.S. financial system, um, and there was the potential for catastrophic failure, basically right around every single corner. So, yes, a lot of, a lot of. This is the climactic moment. If you're listening to this episode only, you probably got to go back and listen to the ones before this. Yeah. Right. All right. Why don't you give some context on what was going on? That this is what October twentieth. Yeah. So we left off in episode five around October twentieth, October twenty first. We're going to pick up then because that's where the story. You know, we got to pick up that on that day. So on October twentieth, J.P. Morgan, the person, had just returned to New York City and had his eyes set on fixing the increasing panic in the financial system. We're seeing a lot of cracks at the trust companies, at the city banks, at a lot of these other places. The brokerages are really in trouble. His team at J.P. Morgan did a quick analysis of everyone's books and found that the clearinghouses looked okay, but the trust companies were in real trouble like we've seen before. He had to decide which companies to support and which ones to let fail. Uh, My analogy was it's similar to the uh, government and what the federal government did in 2008. And wouldn't you think, do you think that analogy is uh, apt? Yeah. Very yeah. similar. It's weird that just the, him and the other people there, uh, I guess John Rockefeller gets into this a bit, they're kind of the ones deciding their fate, which is quite strange to me. Although, who's better than them or the government? Who's to say? Uh, but Charles T. Barney, president of the Knickerbocker Trust, tried to go see J.P. Morgan, but he wasn't let into the door. I thought this was the funniest anecdote from that book about the Panic of 1907. Where he's like knocking and the secretary's like, I don't know. He's like, we got got Charles Barney and uh, he's like, I I don't want to see that man. Uh, But in the fall of 1907, the Knickerbocker Trust shares held, or sorry, the Knickerbocker Trust held shares in Charles Morse companies like the Bank of North America, the American Ice Company, and the Clyde Steamship Company. So if you remember last time, Charles Morse got into trouble doing his fraudulent stuff. Uh, with the Heinz brothers, but Barney got in trouble with the Knickerbocker Trust investing in all these companies. So they kind of, I mean, Charles Morse and uh, the Heinz brothers got blackballed from the financial system. And I think Barney basically gets blackballed after that. So he's in trouble. The Knickerbocker Trust is pretty big. So they're kind of more important to the overall financial system. If we go to the next day on Tuesday, October 22nd, uh, This is really when the panic starts setting in for the Knickerbocker Trust. A crowd is forming outside uh, their doors. In two and a half hours, $8 million was returned to depositors and a run on the bank had begun. Returns had to be stopped when other banks, so people who deposited money at the trust, you know how we talked about in the previous episode where some banks were basically spreading out the reserves over at other banks, you know, which makes sense, right? Right, to help them. In theory. Pay back these depositors or these yeah. people pulling money out? Yeah. I mean, it makes sense to a point where you want to spread out the risk, but you don't want to just make it so everyone's tied together. And if one chain fails, you know, the whole thing goes down, which is kind of where we're looking at here. Uh, so they came back asking for their money. And then J.P. Morgan's deputy, Benjamin Strong, who was a name everyone should remember because he is critical over the next few decades here, I believe. 
uh, he decided that the bank was insolvent and not worth rescuing. Uh, he went down there, and uh, there's a quote from the book that he uh, he is quite he's a little bit uh, dramatic, but he said the consternation on the faces of the people on that line, many of them men whom I knew, I shall never forget. I don't know, he had like a diary or something, so people read uh, his dramatic tales, but it was pretty dramatic. And the New York Clearinghouse tried to stop the spread of the run at Knickerbocker. Uh, during this time, stock prices dumped to their lowest levels since 1900. So a whole decade wiped out. Uh, you can probably tell, you know, the mindset of people during this time. Probably not. Uh, I don't know. What would you say? Well, They're not greedy. I would say, well, I don't know. Probably pretty scared. Yeah. I always think about this. What would a real run on the banks look like? Because today, that's basically not feasible. It's, it's an electronic run, and you have the FDIC backstop. But I mean, everyone clamoring at the doors. And I mean, would you have enough faith to put money in a bank ever again if you were there at during a run on the banks? Well, you can understand at this time period why people distrusted, distrusted the banking system, why people that lived through the Great Depression and this time period did not think about investing like people do today. You know, how cash pe- under the mattress. Under the mattress. Yeah, that's what people thought. I mean, you can understand why that would happen. Um, but back to the story. The run didn't stop at the Knickerbocker Trust. Other trust companies were coming to talk to Morgan, deliberating about their solvency and then Treasury Secretary George B. Cordelieu was summed to New York City. Interesting name there. You don't see that last name anymore. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the federal government, that's kind of what they had at their disposal was really the Treasury was the big thing then. You know, you had the executive office and stuff. But if we get back to the timeline, on Wednesday, October 23rd, at around 2 a.m., Benjamin Strong is contacted at his home in Greenwich and is told to assemble his team and examine the Trust Company of America. So now we're going to switch. The highlight of the story is kind of the Trust Company of America. They're the big one. Uh, and then on this day... And as a reminder, what is a trust? Yeah, so again, you can define a trust as a lot of different ways because there's the Standard Oil Trust, but and it was just kind of a way to formulate a business. But in this case, for these trusts, like the Knickerbocker Trust and the Trust Company of America... They're similar to, it's hard to pin down a a perfect example from today's time, but it would be similar to maybe some sort of fund that pools their money and tries to invest in things and own assets and act like a quasi bank, but also yielding a higher amount. So getting higher returns for the people that deposit money on them. Uh, But yeah, back to the timeline. On this day, JP Morgan's health begins to worsen, which people don't like because he's kind of leading the, you know... Sounds like Whatever. he he's was the leader the, here. Uh, I mean, he's kind he of the, like a single-person government of the at finan- this point. Of the financial system. Yeah, you could definitely describe that. Uh, he can apparently barely get out of bed at this time. He was supposed to meet with E.H. Harriman of United Northern Pacific. If you remember, that was uh, back to the battle of J.P. Morgan versus Kuhn and Love to try to get the Union Pacific or the Northern Pacific. Uh, shares. I think we talked about that in the first episode. Mm-hmm. So he's coming back into play. And then Henry Clay Frick of U.S. Steel met together. Uh, those three were talking on the conditions of the trust companies. And remember, this is all happening at Morgan's library on, uh, what would it be? Was it Madison Avenue? I believe it's Madison Avenue. Uh, so Strong came down to the meeting. And while the trust executives were in another room, Strong talks with Morgan Clay 
uh, or Henry Clay Frick and Harriman. And again, I have another quote from Strong. He says, I remember Mr. Morgan repeatedly yelling, are they solvent? Are they solvent? He wanted no details, but the general facts and seemed satisfied, satisfied with my opinions. There were two or three large loans in the trust company, which I had to ask Mr. Morgan, Mr. Baker, and Mr. Stillman, uh, who I guess are other workers at J.P. Morgan, for their own opinion. And with that, I remember telling Mr. Morgan that I was satisfied that the company was solvent, that I thought their surplus, though their surplus has been pretty much wiped out, but that their capital was not greatly impaired, if at all. Although were the company to be liquidated, there were many assets, which I would take some years to convert to cash. Uh, that's a little bit of a weird quote, but the Trust Company of America was kind of in peril because people weren't confident in it. And while Strong was talking to Morgan, Oakley Thorne, the president of the company, called and told Morgan his meager cash supply had dwindled to $1.2 million. So pretty close to collapsing at that point. Yeah. Over 1,200 depositors were assembled outside the trust company's offices in lower Manhattan, and Thorne only kept two of the teller windows open to stop the flow of cash. Again, it's just the standard, you know, spreading of the panic. People want their money back. I'm just uh, picturing go everyone going in one after the other into J.P. Morgan's door, into his room, his big library, and he's just sitting in some chair with his back turned to him. Yeah, it's weird. And it's, they just he just keeps shouting, "Are they solvent?" It's like the Godfather. Let him go. Yeah, let yeah, let him go. They can die. It's like Lord Farquaad. He's literally Shrek. making the choices of. Mm, they can stay. They can die. Mm-hmm. Don't spread out the calamity. Just let one or two go under. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite interesting. It's, uh, so Thorne he ends up calling Morgan after the you know the teller windows are getting bombarded with people. He has ten other trust companies in the room. So Thorne is at his bank or whatever, you know, seeing the rush on it. But Morgan has ten other trust company presidents in the room. And he suggests that they loan $300,000 to the Trust Company of America. But the meeting fell apart and turned into a giant debate. I'm assuming the executives didn't want to save their competitor. Uh, yeah. At 1.45 p.m. that day, Thorne only had 5000 in his account. and was 500000 500000 excuse me, and was pleading for aid. And by 2.15, members from the Trust Company of America entered the room said they only had $180,000 left and decided to cease their operations. So then Morgan, who is not getting anything from the trust company presidents, summons the presidents of the city's two largest banks, uh, National or James Stillman from National City Bank and George F. Baker from the First National Bank of New York. Again, all confusing names. None of them are, they all just mold together, but... He also summoned Thorne and told him to bring the most valuable securities held in his company's vaults. The parties agreed after seeing that the Trust Company of America had enough collateral and got $3 million in loans. So the trust was saved for a day. Uh, And Morgan said, now this is a great quote. He said, anyone shorting the market in this time in an attempt to promote panic would be, quote, properly attended to after the crisis what are your thoughts on that if you heard that and you were a short seller yeah i mean you think about now uh people's despise for short sellers (laughs) back then if you did it at the wrong time you'd be properly attended to yeah i would be like is michael burry would not have survived this day and age i guess not he would have been thrown in the hudson river in a body bag or something (laughs) i don't i would uh if i heard those words from the most powerful financier in new york city I would be pretty scared too. 
Yeah. Um, I guess, all right, back to the timeline. By 9 p.m., Morgan heads to the meeting with the trust presidents. I'm assuming they are all got meetings all the time. He first meets with Benjamin Strong, who's kind of the head accountant around all this stuff, who determined that the trust company had about $2 million in equity. Uh, as the trust pre- presidents arrived to the Union Trust building, sorry, it's a little confusing because there's all these different companies, Morgan demands a bold, decisive decision to stop the run and restore public confidence. He said J.P. Morgan and company would do all they could to assist the trust companies to fix this, but the presidents refused to come together and fix the problem. So Morgan said they needed to come up with $10 million by the next morning. During the discussions, Thorne was waiting outside, and him and Strong went to figure out how to bring the necessary collateral to get the loans, and they didn't finish until 8.30 a.m. the next morning. What okay. are your thoughts at this point in the timeline? What I find hilarious is that they're like, all right, it's time to tap into the reserves. Go to the vaults. Go to the like vaults, they, yeah. they hold it physically in some mm-hmm. vault downstairs. They're like, I don't want to have to use this until now. They show like the other. Yeah, well, it's just certificates on like claims on stuff. The other thing, it's like all these trust presidents were like, well, if I can just last a little longer than that trust next door – I'll be able to collect their customers in the end, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like everyone's swimming a mile offshore. It's almost all a game trying to of kill each other. It's a game of chicken. Yeah, but at the end of the day, they're all screwed. Mm-hmm. Or I guess maybe not. Potentially, but they're hoping other people would die before them. And Morgan's like, "That's a bad idea." Yeah, we should we'll, help each other. We'll pick things up after on October twenty first. But before we do that, we're going to take a break, and then we'll get back to it. Okay, welcome back in. We're picking things up on Thursday, October 24th. So reminder, uh, Thorne and Strong had been out literally all night trying to gather, gather the necessary collateral to essentially survive and get the for loan. a few more days. Yeah. Um, so where do we go from there? Yeah, so at 9.45, Strong arrives at the Union Trust building. But you have to remember that the market's open at 10, right? So Edward King, the chair of the trust committee, which his last name being King is quite ironic, uh, he refused to deliver the promised loan to Strong. So he's backing out of the deal. And the trust company was set to open its doors in 15 minutes. Uh, So Strong... Remember, this is... It's going down in Manhattan, and you're not just calling people trying to get the necessary collateral. These... uh, Strong and Thorne were literally out all night running from place to place. Uh, this is how I imagine it, trying to get the right collateral. And then they get to the doors at 9.45 a.m., but essentially Edward King is saying it's too late. Yeah, he's trying to – well, they're trying to convince these people to give them a bridge loan basically. Uh, and they want – well, they said they would do it before, uh, probably with, you know, J.P. Morgan forcing their hand a bit. Uh, yeah. But now they're deciding to back out. So Strong then rushes uptown to see Morgan, who was having breakfast in his library. And Morgan told Strong to exchange all the trust securities for cash and then secure a temporary bridge loan from National City Bank. So instead of getting the stuff from the trust companies, they go to National City Bank. So Morgan douses the fire again, but the panic was just getting started. If you think it's bad, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, on October 24th, J. Pierpont Morgan, at the same time Morgan was going to open the doors to the Trust Company of America, headed to his office at 23rd Wall Street, or sorry, 23 Wall Street. His face was all over the papers right now, proclaiming him the city's hero, right? He, they're talking about him saving whatever the financial institution, which, you know, all the people in that town are 
or not all the people, but a lot of people in his neighborhood are making their lives off of the you know, financial system. Uh, George Perkins, Morgan's partner, made a deal with Treasury Secretary Cordelieu for $25 million in additional liquidity. So things are looking a little better, calming down. Uh, but all throughout the 24th, men carried gold and greenbacks to various banks approved by the secretary. So that's kind of how, you know, things were working. They they tap into the tre- the secretary or sorry the treasury of the United States, and they're trying to bring some gold and cash to that uh, to you know the people that are worried about you know their deposits. And then John D. Rockefeller also deposited 10 million dollars at Union Trust, and then promised 40 million dollars more if needed. Again. These people are like almost benevolent dictators where they're like, yeah, you can take my Remember, money. Rockefeller was worth, what, 3% of America's GDP? Yeah. So yeah. this guy alone was the wealth of entire cities. Yeah. So yeah. if you were able to know Rockefeller during these times, you had access to a lot of liquidity. Yeah, that is for sure. Uh, but then on one, th- or sorry, on October twenty fourth at one thirty in the afternoon, president of the New York Stock Exchange came to J P Morgan's offices and said they would have to close the exchange because they aren't able to clear all these trades. Apparently, this is another problem that's boiling up. Morgan told him he couldn't close a minute before three. I'm assuming that is because the impression of closing early would make people nervous. Now, the New York Stock Exchange still needed a loan, though, so they could clear, you know, I'm guessing they didn't have enough money to pay back all their brokers and stuff because the brokers had security slips, but there was no money to exchange it for. That is a big issue. At 2 p.m., Morgan gathered all the head bankers, again, not the trust companies who are a different set of, it sounds like they're pretty curmudgeon people, but he gets the bankers and he said that unless they raised $25 million within the next 10 minutes, 50 stock exchanges would fail. That would be catastrophic. <laughs> and by 2.16 p.m., uh, they, I remember specifically laughing that it got down to the minute at this point. Uh, $23.6 million of money was formed and the brokers were able to secure loans and stay open. That's probably, wow. that's really, um, it was a precarious situation at this point. Yeah. I mean, they survived though. They survived at least that day. Some people do. Uh, Yeah. And I guess we'll wrap up with Friday, October 25th. Early that day, the group uh, needed to save the trust company. And then the Lincoln Trust is apparently doing bad, too, uh, to stop the alarm and the panic. When the exchanges opened at 10 a.m., prices totally collapsed. Interest rates on the money market reached 150%, and there was simply no money available. So... You know, brokers are trying to do those daily loans and stuff like that, money market or whatever. <laughs> they, they really couldn't do it. Everything's tightening up. By 1.30 p.m. on Friday, the market was in the exact same position as the day before. So Morgan and the banks raised another $9.7 million, but Morgan said the funds cannot be used for margin, which I guess before, apparently you could take that loan for margin. Who knows? It always comes back down to margin. Yeah. Don't lever up and none of this ever happens. But, you know, no one ever learns. Um <laughs> Apparently, I don't know. I kind of come away from this thinking that humans will never learn. We'll never learn about this. But uh, yeah, there's no brokerage failures on Friday because of the loan. But then they turned back to the library on Friday evening and Morgan and his associates acknowledged they could not bail out the banks basically every day and form these money pools forever. So they focus went towards reassuring the public, which we'll pick back up on next 
episode. What were the big mm-hmm. takeaways for you? Uh, I guess we covered about one week. What were the big takeaways from this episode? Well, it sounds like J.P. Morgan was perhaps the most important figure maybe in the world at the time. I guess London was still a hub of finance. The U.S. is a lot smaller. Uh, you know, they're not the global power at this point. But yeah, in the U.S. Yeah, he was a very powerful person. Uh, man, just I feel like a movie's got to be written or uh, created about something like this. There definitely could be a movie about the Panic of 1907. If anyone's out there listening, we'll... Uh, <laughs> We'd love to watch. We'll be an executive producer. Yeah. And do nothing. Yeah. I don't... Big takeaways, I guess. I don't know. What would you rather see? Uh, overall spread collapse or pick a few banks out, pick a few victims and say, you're going to die. We'll let yeah, the rest survive. Well, I don't know. It's a, it's a really hard choice to make. But the thing is, you can't just let everything collapse and do nothing. Well, you can. You can do that. But it seems like if they were let that to happen, like a Great Depression could happen, mm-hmm. you know, and they don't want that to occur. Um, so they're making really hard choices here. I don't know. I don't know what the best move is. I bet they just have, it seems like in these points, people like JP Morgan and his, you know, people that were working with him have to make the best of like the worst choice. And keep in mind, this was a week after his, uh, religious retreat. Oh yeah. JP Morgan's religious retreat. Don't worry. Yeah. He, uh, the triapus. He came back for a great week on Wall Street. Is that going to do it? That is going to do it, yeah. Okay, so uh, next episode, we're wrapping things up with basically the conclusion of the panic, how they are able to reassure the public uh, if they do. Uh, I guess I'm not going to give any spoilers on that. And that'll be episode seven. Uh, But as always, if we got anything wrong, let us know on Twitter, email us. uh, All that stuff stuff should be in the show notes. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you on episode seven.